Welcome to the Mind Over Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Crew, a mom to twin girls, small town family doctor, and an anxiety and mindset coach for moms and mompreneurs. Let's face it, motherhood is an adventure, and it can be all-consuming if we let it. I believe that too often we lose ourselves when we become mothers, and our lives run us rather than us running our lives. This podcast is designed for the multi-passionate, but overwhelmed mom who is ready to master her mindset, quiet the chaos, and create the life and business of her dreams without sacrificing what's important to her. Each week on this show, I'll bring expert tips, guest interviews, and a healthy dose of honesty to help you finally step back into your power and create the life you've always wanted. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Mind Over Motherhood podcast. On this episode of the Mind Over Motherhood podcast, I'm talking to Gina Sikowski. And this topic that we're going to talk about today is one that I have not yet talked about on Mind Over Motherhood, but I do think is so, so important because I feel like the experience that my guest is going to share may be similar to some of my listeners. And I think it's really important that we hear stories like hers so that we can learn and and kind of find our way out of toxic relationships. So Gina, thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. So Gina (laughs) is a mom of three from New Jersey. She's a physical therapist and who has gone through the process of leaving a toxic marriage of 10 years. She's now going through the divorce process with a narcissistic ex- and has used positivity and faith to transform her life as a single mom. Gina's goal is to inspire others with her journey to remind them that life is too short to not live the life they've always imagined and grow through their struggles. Gina is currently obtaining her life coaching certificate and NLP certification and aspires to be a divorce mediator in the state of New Jersey. And I think, again, just to reiterate, I think this is such an important conversation to have because I think there's too many women that don't realize that they could be stuck in a relationship like you're going to talk about. So would you mind by just getting started talking to us a little bit about your story and where you're at now? Sure. So um, I am married for 12 years now. Um, I've been going through the divorce process for almost two years, separated two years next month. And uh, my story is very long, but I will make it short. I'm just in a very controlling marriage, serial cheater, liar, pathological liar, went through a lot of gaslighting, uh, being manipulated, kind of like I would always say throughout the relationship, you think the world revolves around you because honestly, that's how narcissists feel. They feel like the world revolves around them. They always need to have their way. They want to control every situation. And I saw it in my relationship and I saw it in his uh, business, the way he handled his business, just very controlling. I always felt deep down that my gut was telling me that he was cheating on me, but I never had proof. I would always get these gut instincts. I would go to bed many times alone. He would be working late or saying he was working late. Um, He's a contractor. He told me that he would be doing estimates at night later to find out that he wasn't doing estimates. He was actually out with other women. So the biggest thing for me, you know, we had three kids together and 
The hardest part was leaving because I didn't want my kids to come from a broken home. I just, you know, I just didn't want that for them. So I thought the right thing for me was to stay. So even through all these gut feelings, even through many times fighting depression, um, just being miserable the majority of the time, the time feeling like a single mom for, you know, all the years that I was with him, with my children, I was always playing the dad role, being outside with the kids, playing sports with them. I was always running them around. He was around on the weekends for the majority of it. But during the week, working my 40 hours a week, running my kids around, I just always felt like a single mom. I didn't know where he was sometimes um, doing meetings, doing his estimates just always this gut feeling that he was cheating on me. But my thing was that I wanted the proof. I wanted the proof to leave and I never got the proof. And anytime I asked questions, he always had a cover. He mm. always had that backup to make me kind of believe deep down that maybe he wasn't cheating or mm. I would hear you're crazy, you know, turning it back on me. And if I went to a question to question him about something, he would totally manipulate the situation and turn it back to maybe asking me a question or coming at me defensively. So this went on for many years. I had many plans to get out. I just couldn't do it. I didn't have the proof, like I said. So I felt like I couldn't do that to my children. So wound up staying. Towards the end of the marriage, I was getting lots of text messages from text now numbers that were not traceable, that I couldn't call and get somebody on the phone. With a text now number, which is an app, you can go back and forth and text the person, but you can, can't get on the phone with them and you can, cannot have the number traced. Um, I was getting lots of messages about my husband being with another woman. I saw your husband at the coffee shop with another woman. I saw your um, husband at the gym, putting his daughter in daycare and then working out with another woman. I got texts that he was at Home Depot shopping around with a woman. This went on for about eight months. I was at the police station trying to figure out what I could do with these text messages. They weren't able to do anything for me. In August of 2018, he told me that he was going to a bodybuilding show in Texas. And the day before he came home, I received a fake Instagram account message in my DMs. And it said, how cute they're on vacation together. And that was it. And a couple of minutes later, a picture pops up of him and, and another woman, a woman that I had questioned him about for eight months. And that oh was God. the end of it. That was the end of for, it for me. That, that was my proof. You know, after that, he came home from Texas. Lots of stuff happened from that time until the time that I moved out of my home. So that was in August. I wound up moving out of my home in December. I just felt like I could not stay there anymore. It was way too toxic for me. I just didn't want that toxic energy in my life anymore. I wanted to move out and just start my life over. Um, and I knew I wasn't able to get into a more positive energy. I wasn't able to grow staying in that toxic home, even though my children were there with me. I just felt like I needed to get away from his toxic energy. So I moved out in December of 2018, um, start, rented a townhouse, and we split the kids 50-50. And I've been here since then, going through the divorce process. October will be two years. Um, it's been very difficult, very difficult process.
just lots of lies through the divorce process, lots of hiding of money into his girlfriend's bank account, hiding cash. You know, he's a home builder. They get paid with a lot of cash. So he doesn't have to prove what he's making. He can take that money and hide it away. So the whole divorce process has been very difficult. No kidding. Holy smokes. (laughs) So through all of this, because that is like just a, a terrible story of just being treated so badly but still wanting to stay so, so desperately for your kids and make it work for them. And I think that that feeling is something probably many women would and could relate to, you know, wanting to keep your family together so that your children have, you know, two parents together, right? They'll always still have two parents, but maybe not together. So tell me a little bit about, you know, that would have been in a very emotionally trying experience and it still is, I can only imagine So talk to me a little bit about like, what was that like for you emotionally, like to go through all of that? So I always wanted to stay positive, upbeat for my children. I never wanted them to see me down. There were actually times that I did lose it. There were times that I broke down. There were times that I had to fight falling into a depression. I'll never forget my oldest, who is now 15. I think maybe he was like six or seven at the time. He loved to draw. He's very good with his hands. He likes to draw. He likes to build. Um, He drew a picture one time of our family, and it showed me crying. And that was heartbreaking for me. But it was just a very hard time that I was, you know, dealing with my soon-to-be ex. Again, having a gut feeling that he was cheating, sleepless nights, wondering where he was, who he was with. And it was just hard to, you know, it, it was hard not to let those emotions out. So my kids did see some of that and they did see some fighting between me and him, you know, when, once he walked in the door, I'm just the type of person that I wear my emotions on my sleeve. It's very hard for me to hold things in. And um, so everything just comes out when I feel it. So it was hard for me to fight back on not holding everything in when I saw him because I needed answers. I wanted to know where he was. I wanted to know who he was with. I wanted to know if my gut feelings were true. So that's just me. You know, it was very hard emotionally. I, um, you know, I think that that there's part of that though, that is really important for your kids to see emotions. And I talk a lot about on the podcast, even just with my guest last week, I was talking about, you know, that I think we, we try to shelter our kids so much from our emotional experiences because we don't want them to have to see us sad. We don't want them to have to see us freaking out. But I do think that there is some value in them seeing you have those emotions too, right? Because someday, you know, they probably won't remember you crying, but they will remember that your family went through this huge turmoil, you know, like someday when they look back, I'm not sure how old are your kids? Um, I have 15 and 14 year old boys and a 10 year old daughter. So they're definitely old enough to see and to kind of know what's going on. Right. And I think it's important. I honestly, I stand by that all the time. I don't try. I don't, of course, you know, I try to be on my best behavior if I'm going to lose it, but you know, but I don't hide from my kids when I'm upset and I'm crying. And, you know, cause I think it's really important for kids to see that sometimes, right. To see that it's okay to be sad and it's okay to let emotions out and it's okay to be hurt when things happen. And, sure. and I can only imagine the model that you were providing was uh, exceptional for them, right. To kind of show them how to navigate this terrible situation and yeah. to still remain positive and strong through all of that, which is just amazing. 
Yeah, it was hard. It was hard. And it still is now. Yeah. You know, um, I have a hard time being without them. I have a hard time giving, handing them over 50% of the time, especially because no I always felt like I was always the one there for them. You know, my life was work and my kids. Right. And, and that was it. You know, I lost friends. I lost family members. It, it's just the way it was. It was me and them the majority of the time. So handing them over 50% of the time, it's almost two years now. And it's been extremely hard for me. I so there's times yeah. when I'm with them now and some things come up and I might start crying to them. And, you know, there's times that they're driving me crazy and I yell at them just like, <laughs> you know, every other <laughs> Just parent. like every other mom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just comes out. My emotions are always out. And I try to teach them that I want them to be the same way. I want them to come with me with anything. I want to know if they're sad. I want to know if they're happy. I want to know if you know, something is hurting them. I want them to be as emotionally open as, as I am. You know, mm -hmm. I want them to know that they can come to me with anything. So that's yeah. huge. For me. That's yeah. amazing. So let's talk a little bit about like a narcissist specifically. I know you kind of mentioned some characteristics of a narcissist when you were telling your story, but I mean, I suspect there might be somebody who maybe isn't clear exactly on what it means if someone is a narcissist. Can you tell me a little bit about what that term means? Well, a narcissist is someone who's just very controlling, um, very manipulative. They will manipulate every situation they um never want to be seen they want to be seen as the victim they never want to be seen as this bad person like through my whole process he has tried to change the situation where um he is the victim i've had people come up to me and tell me that they were told that i was cheating and that's why the relationship is over or you know i am doing this through the divorce process and dragging it on for almost two years now. So they'll kind of like change around the whole story. As far as the cheating part that comes in, they will do anything that they can to cover it up. They will find proof. They will find, you know, somebody to cover for them. They just have like these people that work for them to help them prove their point. So like I said, every time that I thought that he was cheating, I later found out that I was correct because I had multiple women come to me and tell me that they had an affair with my husband, believing that I was already going through the divorce process, you know, eight, five, eight years ago, because that's wow. what they were told. And um, so all my suspicions, I believe were true, but he always had something to show me to prove that. When I thought he was here, he was actually there. And the needs of the narcissist are always the most important. And yes. like you said, they never want to be positioned as the bad guy. So they will instantly flip the story so that yeah. they are positioned as the victim in the story, even if they are clearly like the emotional manipulator. And, and like how you referenced, um, you know, they have people who help them do this because they emotionally manipulate everyone, right? Yeah. Um, there's you know a narcissist is essentially thinks the sun shines out of their ass and like they can't do anything yeah. wrong and they believe it right and so you no doubt you know a narcissist perhaps perhaps even you know your ex believed that like he was doing the right thing because his needs were the only needs that were important yeah. and so you know going and having all of his affairs well that was that was okay because that served his needs and exactly. so a narcissist you know typically has you know a very um, 
self, extremely self-focused. That's essentially what narcissism is. It's just that essentially the world revolves around you, right? Yeah. Like around them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And they're usually very insecure people. And I always said that about him. He's very insecure. So I feel like he always had to talk his business up or he had to go buy the next best thing to show off because he had, he was so insecure in himself mm-hmm. oh my God, that he had to have something to show that, you know, uh, I'm a bigger person or I'm a better person or right. it was always like that. Yeah. They do honestly think, I think narcissists really think that they are like God's gift. Yeah. Right. Everything is good. Yes. They are amazing. And everything they yes. do is amazing. And so if you're living with someone or, you know, someone, or you're in a relationship with someone who makes you feel like you're always wrong or who makes you feel like you've always done the wrong thing or that they are always better than you, or you're constantly, you know, being told that you're crazy and what you're seeing isn't yeah. true. Right. It's, yeah. it's, I think it's important to, to be really clear and start to like watch for those signs. You mentioned a term that I actually believe it or not, just learned about in the last nine months, I would say, you mentioned the term gaslighting um, not that long ago in your story and, um, and now learned what that means. But would you be able to kind of explain what gaslighting means? Well, gaslighting to me is kind of like what I was saying with um, uh, like the whole, when it goes back to like cheating, you know, so just trying to cover up, trying to make me believe like, I would never do that to you. Um, right. You know, I love you. I would never be with anybody else. And I, I got that all the time. I mean, I would get text messages while he was out with other women um, telling me how much he loved me. Um, telling me again, you're crazy to think that Mm -hmm. I would ever do that to you. I would never be with another woman. I've never touched another woman. So making you believe that you are so loved and you know, you're the only woman in his life and he could never do anything like that to you while he's doing all those things, you know, even, um, he's very big on preaching God. You know, my soon to be ex. He will preach God to your face. He will preach God all over, all over social media. Um, he'll go to church every Sunday. And if I didn't take the kids to church, you know, even now I would hear, I can't believe you didn't take your kids to church. How could you not take your kids to church on Sunday morning? You know, but all while lying, cheating, stealing, right? You know, doing, yeah. all, of, right. doing all of those things. But I'm the bad person for not taking the kids to church, you right. know? Yeah. So kind of and, like these yeah. two different, living two, two different lives, you know, wanting everybody to see this wonderful, amazing person, but then doing all of these horrible things yeah. behind everybody's back. Totally. And, and, and I think too, gaslighting is a little bit like um, trying to convince the other person. So for example, I would try to convince you that like what you're seeing and hearing with your own eyes and ears is not happening or what you know to be true is not true. Or, you know, um, and I <laughs> admittedly, 
have become more aware of this. And I feel like we probably do this. This is a bit of a like tangent from this conversation, just to lighten it up a bit. Not that it's bad, but that yeah. I, I gaslight my kids all the time and I don't even <laughs> like, you're fine. It's not a big deal. You're fine. Yes. And then I catch myself and I'm like, wow, like I'm totally <laughs> gaslighting her or like, <laughs> you know, and like, oh no, we don't have any cookies. And she's like, I saw them in the cupboard. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> That's essentially what gaslighting is. Right. And I'm like, yeah. Wow. But especially in the domain of like your own emotions and your own beliefs, right? Like, like how you, you said, you know, I feel betrayed and I feel like maybe you're cheating on me. I would never do that to you. You're crazy yes. to say that, right? It's and like, then you start believing that you yes. are crazy. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I would believe that. I was like, all right, maybe I am crazy. Maybe he would never right? cheat on me, you know? Yes. Because yeah. when, when you question yourself, a narcissist is winning now because they've, they've introduced doubt into your own beliefs, right? And I, yeah. I do hear this from a lot of women that I work with is that they'll get that kind of like, well, maybe I'm crazy. Like, am I crazy? Am I overreacting? That's another yes. big one. Oh, you're overreacting. That's a huge gaslighting technique, right? You're overreacting. Yeah. Don't be so sensitive is another one that people often get. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's, a, it's really, really shocking when you start to pay attention to it. Um, how often it really does happen and it's it's got to yeah. be an incredibly terrible way to live in a in a relationship that you can't um you know trust your own gut instinct and it sounds like you no. knew and your gut you mentioned that a couple times that your gut was telling you one thing and you still tried to shut it off and you know and ignore it and I think that that's probably yeah. something a lot of women can relate to Oh yeah, definitely. Our yeah. gut knows. I'm convinced. <laughs> now yeah. I don't even question it. Honestly, now I just go with it because yeah, really. Totally. And you know what? I think that's important. Even just last week, I was talking to Tani Morgan on the podcast and she, we talked all about intuition and it was, it was such a really good conversation. And I think that there's more and more movement, I guess, if that's the right word to women really embracing that gut feeling, yes. right? because yeah. we have been told it's, it's irrational or sensitive or emotional or whatever, but then we're going through these experiences and our gut is telling us one thing and we don't listen to it. And then we learn our lesson, yeah. right? Like we learn yeah. and then we start to follow it. Yeah. So through all of this, I mean, you now use this story and you want to use your story that you're going through to really help empower people to kind of work through this and stay positive through this and all, you know, find strength through these awful relationships, because I think they're unfortunately more common than people talk about. Most people aren't walking around like I'm in a relationship with a narcissist, right? They might not even be aware, right? Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, we talked about signs that you could be with a narcissist or who and what a narcissist looks like. What about some of the, what am I trying to ask? I guess, what are some of the turning points for you um, where you started to really actually decide like, okay, like there's really something wrong here, right? What, what were those like, I, and I know you've alluded to them a couple of times, but some of the signs, I guess, for people to pay attention to in their own life that you're like, oh, there's a problem here. Well, I guess the biggest thing for me was um, the lying and mm-hmm. catching him every once in a while in a lie. Or, um, you know, it was funny, every once in a while, I would get a text message from him and be like, what do you mean? And, uh, you know, maybe like, I can't, I can't remember them offhand, but maybe something like, I'll meet you there at eight o'clock. And mm-hmm. I would be like, what do you mean? And he was like, oh, that was for um, Joe. You know, he's meeting mm-hmm. me at, at an estimate at eight o'clock. And, but he was sending it to the wrong woman, you right. know? So, Every once in a while, he did that, which made me kind of catch on a little bit. 
Um, there were times where I actually had gut feelings and where he, when he told me that he was going somewhere, I would, um, I, I actually called the person that I thought he was going with or going out with. Um, just because in the back of my head, I thought it was a lie and I, I needed to check and, mm -hmm. and it was a lie. So the lies are like, uh, I mean, that, that was honestly the biggest for me, just yeah. where I knew that he was lying, the gut feelings, you know, being out late. I mean, yeah, you might be on, on an estimate, but I don't believe that you're on an estimate for three hours or, mm -hmm. you know, is somebody really having you come over to look at their kitchen at 11, 12 o'clock at night? Right. Yeah. There's just like doubtful stories that you're starting to be like, mm. yes. And then yeah. when you, when, um, another big one for me was when you're sitting at your kids sporting events and you're, you know, on your phone texting, like nowhere mm -hmm. near me, not sitting anywhere near me. And then, mm -hmm. um, we would, we used to have date night. We tried to do date night every Friday and I'll know the last date night for us was when he was sitting across from me on his phone the entire time. Mm. I actually walked out of the restaurant. Um, yeah. and, and that, that was actually our, our last date night before, um, our separation started, but just someone who can even have a conversation with you, you know, mm -hmm. why are they on their phone all the time? Mm -hmm. Who are they texting? Why can't they take the time to spend with you? So that was a huge red flag for me too. Um, mm -hmm. when he was always texting. Yeah. And wound up having two phones. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah. yeah. So those were big ones for me. So let's talk about how you've taken care of yourself through all of this, because obviously you've come out the other side, you can talk about it. You're, you want to help others. So what have been some of the biggest sources of strength for you through all of this whole experience? So for me, I think, um, my story might be a little different because I got to the point where I wanted out so bad. I just didn't know how to get out. Right. So, and I thought staying for my children was the good thing to do. And once I was finally out, it was like a relief for me. When I moved out of my house, I felt like this huge weight was just lifted off of me. Um, I felt like a totally different person. I was excited to be out. I was excited to be free, you know, cause I felt like I was living on eggshells for a little bit with him. So now I felt like this freedom. And then I knew that I needed to start working on myself because I put so much time into my children. I didn't put myself as a priority. You know, my kids were my priority, my job. You know, I'm, I'm a physical therapist. I'm constantly doing manual work. My job was exhausting, is exhausting still. So I knew that I needed to take care of myself. It's kind of like the oxygen in the airplane. Um, you know, mm -hmm. like I have to take care of me before I can take care of anybody else. I knew that I needed to be happy because I wanted my kids to be happy and I wanted them to see a happy mom. I wanted to, them to see a strong mom, single mom. And that was very important for me. So mm -hmm. self-care, self-care is like huge. I talk to everybody I can about self-care if they come to me with questions and self-care for me wasn't just taking a bath. It wasn't just uh, going on a walk. It wasn't you know, running to the gym. And trust me, I did all of them and they are a part of my self-care, but my self-care truly is listening to the right podcasts, you know, diving into books that can help me. Um, going to church every Sunday was huge for me. I always felt like when I was at church, they were speaking just to me, like I was the only one in the room. And journaling, that was huge for me. So those are my biggest self-care because it's for me it's all about mindset it's all about personal growth it's all about spirituality 
Yeah, that's huge. Journaling became huge for me. I would go down by the beach, sit by the water. I would journal. You know, I'm actually in the process of of writing my own book, in the process of co-authoring with YGT Mama. So writing just became huge for me. And I still do it. I was doing it tonight before I got on this. So that's part of, that's my biggest self-care. More than the bath and the walk and the gym. Because if my mind isn't right, I can't do anything else. There's times I left the gym because my mind wasn't right. And I just didn't feel like I was all in. Um, I 100% agree with the journaling thing. And like the, all of that self-care discussion you just had. I think that that's so critical to bring up is that um, the way that we get through challenging experiences, no matter what they are, is to dig in more to our self-care. Because often what we do is the opposite, right? when we're going through a stressful phase, it's like, and don't get me wrong. I'm sure that there were days of like pity parties and laying in bed and eating ice cream and feeling terrible for yourself. Like (laughs) that is okay. We can do those things, but that realizing the way out and the way into, you know, positivity and the mindset that you want and like growth and kind of reclaiming your life is really to take care of the mind and body that you're in, in a really intentional way. And I, um, when I talk to same as you, when I talk to women about how they can better, you know, make their lives better, make their mindsets better. A lot of it is like, let's talk about your self-care and what does that look like? Sure. It involves fitness and body care and all that is very important because I think that's yeah. important for mental health, but really where's your reflective self-care? Where's your expressive self-care? Are you writing things down? Are you getting it out of this like cobweb cave in your head? Right. And getting them out onto paper so you can reflect back on it. And I think journaling is such a powerful tool to do that. A lot of women get really intimidated, I think, by journaling yeah. um, because they're like, well, what do I write? Is it like, you know, dear diary when I was like 12, you know, like, <laughs> or I've also had a lot of women worried about, you know, someone finding their journal and or reading their journal and all these different things. But I think that that going just even beyond the self-care talk to, to really talking about journaling itself, I think is really important because I think it's a, kind of a, a past aside idea for a lot of women. They're like, sure, sure. I'll pick up a journal. And then they, they don't do it and they don't see the benefits But those of us who commit and, and that, and you don't have to do it all the time. I think that that's yeah. where women get that they're like, Oh, if I start a journaling habit, right. We attach the word habit to something and everyone thinks it's like every single night you're writing five pages. Like it doesn't have to be like that. Right. You can really write in a journal when the, when you're feeling like expressing yourself on paper and that's when it's the most therapeutic. Yeah, definitely. And I found that, um, every morning, if I, I don't even have to write them down. If I just think about three things that I'm grateful for, you know, once Mm -hmm. I open my eyes, it kind of just sets my tone for the day, you know? Yeah. I'm grateful for my children waking up in my home today. I'm grateful for my first cup of coffee, you know, I'm grateful yeah. for the sun shining outside. It just puts you into a better mood because now I'm focused on what I'm grateful for instead mm-hmm. of, I don't feel like going to work today. You know, I don't feel yeah. like dealing with the kids today, you know, yeah. then you're draining yourself already. It just gets me into a better positive mood, ready to take on the day. Oh, totally. And that's actually a great place to start too. If women are you know, struggling with starting to journal and they don't want to sit down and write dear diary, right? You know, like is to just start by, you know, two of my favorite things to tell women are one, write down three things you're grateful for every day and do it without fail for like two weeks and watch your perspective change. Because I think that our brains are so hardwired for habit. And when we have, you know, negative experiences, like kind of what you went through or any kind of negative experience, our brains get into the habit of being in a negative 
mood, like being kind of down. I call it your mood, where you're like, dum da dum, you know, like yeah. everything is okay, I guess. Just like how Eeyore is, right? And so when you're yeah. in that mood, it's almost as though you have a lens or like a filter over your what you see, right? And now yeah. everything you see is negative and everything that you perceive is negative and how you think about things is negative. And our brain gets in the habit of doing that. And it becomes this like fulfilling prophecy in a way is because yeah, I, all, I feel like crap and then I only see bad things and then I feel like crap again. And so it's just this bad cycle. Whereas yeah. I think what gratitude does is it, it hijacks that habit and it forces your brain to find good things. I particularly, I love that you do it in the morning because it sets your tone for your day. I particularly, yeah. when I started doing a gratitude practice began in the evening. And I remember still to this day, I remember it was at least almost well, my kids are three. So probably three and a half. So three years ago ish that I was, um, I had done a graduate practice. I do it in the evenings before I go to bed, like right before I go to bed, three things to pray for. And, and the amazing thing that I noticed was after three to four days that my brain was like, it felt like my brain was looking for cool things to write down. Yeah. Like I remember yeah. driving along the highway and, and all of a sudden I was like, wow, I'm going to write how beautiful that sunset is in my journal. Right. And I yeah. never would have, right. It's like your brain is now, it's changing the filter. It's changing yeah. the lens through which it's yeah. seeing your world. And, and we, yeah. I think that gratitude practices get kind of like a, it's really like kitschy or whatever. Like people don't want to do it, but it really does. Like there's science to prove that it really can change your perspective. And I think it's, yeah, it's important. Yeah, definitely. There's a hashtag I always use and it's eyes wide open. And I just feel like since my divorce process, I also lost my dad through my divorce. I feel like it's opened my eyes to a totally different world. And as much trauma and tragedy and whatever you want to call it that I've been through, I'm still finding three things every morning that I'm grateful for because I feel like my eyes have been open to this world that I was shut off from for so long. So it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Really I think it's important to have those kinds of things too, like your own little thing that just reminds you consistently right of of that mindset piece. And I mean that's why this podcast is called Mind Over Motherhood because you're so right in that whatever experience we go through, we really have a choice in how we approach it and how we, you know, react to it. Yes. And, um, and I mean, I think that in this, in this new kind of entrepreneurial world that we live in and, and you know, this coaching dynamic thing that everyone's creating and coming, you know, there's so many more coaches doing things. And what's so beautiful about it is it's all of us translating our own experiences and struggles into something valuable right yeah. and taking yeah, that experience definitely. and instead of being like oh woe is me I had this terrible marriage and I'm gonna hold up and never talk to anyone right you're like no man like I've been through this I am out the other side <laughs> like I am gonna bring this and help other women do get through this too right that's right which I yeah. think is, is so so important and and it's the mindset right it's all in how you approach things and how you react to things it definitely is yeah yeah I'm having fun with it I'm, I'm enjoying it. I have to be honest. <laughs> I love yes. it. I'm, I'm loving the single life. I love my, you know, even though I hate that I only have my kids 50% of the time, I actually feel that since I only have them 50% of the time, it's real quality time, you know, because I want to do stuff with them for those days that I have them before they go back to their dads. So I feel like it's more mm -hmm. quality time. I feel like it's more bonding. Um, you know, we're in a smaller home. I feel like we're together more. So I, I try to find the positive in everything that has gone on in the past almost two years, you know, and, and I, I, I yeah. just focus on that. Yeah. I've heard that actually. I, I had one of my earliest episodes was um, with Chelsea Thiessen and she talked about blended families and she said something very similar. She said, 
that because you only have the kids half the time, she said, that you are way more intentional with the time that you have with them, right? Whereas those of us who have our kids 100% of the time, we probably like grumble a bit too much because we're just (laughs) having fun. And no one want to have a divorce so that I can be away from my kids half the time. That's not what I'm saying. But like, you know, um, I think it's also, you know, kind of similar to how you know why I think I it's important for me to work outside the home because it's the same kind of idea and then when I'm home with them I can be intentional and 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 yeah. so it's probably similar to that so that's really yeah, cool definitely. so you're currently going through your life coaching training and your NLP certification which is super cool some of the listeners might not know what NLP is so maybe you can shed a bit of light on what that is so NLP is focusing where um what I'm learning right now in the program is um you know, focusing on what I've learned in the past and trying to change that, trying to take things that I've learned as a young child, you know, people might have gone through seeing their mom and dad fight, seeing their parents go through a horrible marriage, things that were just put into my head, things that I thought that I had to do, things that I was told as a little kid that I've carried with me through the years. And now it's my time to change all of that, change my perspective on the way that Mm -hmm. I see things or or the things that I thought were true, focusing on limiting beliefs. I have a limiting belief right now that I feel like I attract narcissists, you know, but I think that's because that was embedded in me. So now I Mm -hmm. go into relationships and dates, I look for the red flags. And sometimes I don't know if that's good or bad, you know? And, um, but I have that belief. That's a limiting belief for me that I attract narcissists, that I attract cheaters. So it's kind of like reprogramming my brain to think a different way, to see things differently and, um, and go forward with that. So that's where so I know. Yeah. That's really cool. Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. So NLP is um, like a kind of like a tool to be used in coaching then. It's neuro-linguistic programming, correct? That's what the NLP stands for. Yeah. Um, And it's like a form of coaching technique that uncovers and helps you kind of reprogram those unconscious beliefs. Yes. Yeah. So cool. And and that's so important. I honestly think that that's the majority of the work that we do with clients as coaches because a lot of coaches come to, or pardon me, a lot of clients come to coaches with a surface problem because they're not aware that it's the deeper held beliefs that are actually recreating behavior patterns, right? That are putting them in different situations like repetitively and they can't seem to break out of those patterns and they don't realize it's kind of the subconscious limiting beliefs that are holding them back. Yes. Yeah. So like I have a 10 year old daughter and I'm trying to change things in her now, you know, like positive affirmations. Uh, We write stuff on the mirror, you know, Mm -hmm. I, um, I am enough, you know, I am beautiful. She believes that she is beautiful. And I love that, you know, Um, she writes, she wrote the other day, I am loved, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to put that into her now because nobody ever did that for me. You know, I had wonderful, amazing parents, but they, they didn't do that for me. They didn't teach me that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to take all of the stuff that I'm learning now and, you know, being a more positive person and showing that to my three, because that's how I want them to be. I want totally. them to know that they are worthy, that they are enough. 
I want them to know how um, they should be treated and how they should treat other people. You know, respect is huge in my home. We talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. So just try, I'm trying to change things for them now because I don't want them to have to deal with it. Like at the age that I'm at dealing with it because my right. parents never did any of that for me. And I think like that, those couple of beliefs you hit on, especially the, I am enough, I am enough. I think like a big, a huge part of the struggles that a lot of women deal with is that deeply hidden belief of not enoughness. And, and you're right. I think it's how we raise our kids. Um, and, and our parents, I don't think did anything wrong. That's, no. I mean, there's so much more of an awareness around how to, how to build brains and how to build mindsets and things like that now, um, yeah. that our parents were doing the best that they could. Um, but I think there's just, like you have said, so much more awareness around, um, you know, how the brain develops and that when we instill or to work to instill beliefs like I'm enough I am beautiful I am loved right into our children they'll believe them because even as you were saying that I thought to myself I wonder how many women listening can say that they truly believe that they're beautiful right we might say like oh yeah I think I'm beautiful because that's like what's socially acceptable right but how many women listening to the podcast could say to themselves like I truly believe that I'm a beautiful person with, right. We often don't yeah. have that. Like deep down inside, it's very hard for women to actually say it or, or not beautiful, but I'm loved. I am enough. I am yeah. smart enough. Whatever your brand of not enoughness is. Right. Um, yeah. we all have it. And, um, and I think it is so, so important. I do something similar with my girls. There are only three, but, uh, and I think I picked this up from Rachel Hollis actually, but, and we say a couple phrases before bed, right. I am brave. I am strong. I am smart. I am loved. I can do anything. And, uh, and as long as they're willing to cooperate and actually say it with me, that we do it. But sometimes they'll like, it's, it's really funny because sometimes they'll just be like, I am stinky. Like when I say I am smart, <laughs> But I think the point is just that, yeah, to instill those, those beliefs so that we're not, you know, maybe caught in relationships because, and, and I'm totally like over assuming here, but like, I would wonder if it's like, if we had more belief in our true like value and enoughness and, um, and worth, right. Would we get stuck in relationships? Yeah. That treated like crap, right? Like this, and I don't know. I can't speak for you, and I'm and I'm not in a relationship like that. I'm very lucky, but you know, it does make you wonder, right? If we had those big, deep beliefs, like we're trying to instill in our kids, would will they get in relationships and and be in relationships where they're treated badly? I don't know. Yeah, no, I I totally believe that. I totally think about that because I know during my relationship, I definitely lost my worth. I lost my voice, you know, and even though I have a good career financially, I do well for myself, I still stayed, you know, but I believe it's because I lost my worth. I lost my voice. Um, Mm -hmm. I I didn't know how to get out. And now that I'm out, I feel like I have all that back, you know, so maybe I had it before the relationship. I lost it through, but now I feel like I know my worth. I have confidence. I'm positive. You know, I know that um, I'm going to find love again. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that I'm worthy of it. I know how I should be treated and how I will treat somebody else. You know? Yeah. It's so amazing to hear, to hear the confidence. And like you said, to find your voice again, because that must have been to realize, to look back at where you were to like, from where you are now, it must just be like, feel like a different person. Oh yeah, definitely. 
yeah, yeah. totally different person. I was like, where were you? Yeah. <laughs> like, I totally lost you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's nice to be back. <laughs> yeah. It Fair is. enough. But I think that yeah. there's so much, I think it's important too, to highlight that that's what a manipulative relationship is like, right? That's where the gaslighting works. That's where yeah. is that none of us choose like, I would never say you chose to be in this terrible relationship and lose yourself. But it's yeah. like, I almost would feel I would, I, I, I guess I guess because I don't know at all. And forgive me if I'm overstepping. But um, it almost reminds me a little bit of like how I speak about really severe mental illness is that you can't see out of it because you're so in it. You can't yeah. see it from the outside. Yes. And it, I remember it wasn't until I got way, way better. Like my mental health was terrible. And it wasn't until I got way better and looked back and was like, whoa, that was bad, right? Because when I yeah. was in it, I felt like it was normal. I felt like that was how I was supposed to feel. I felt like this yeah. is what, in my case, motherhood was like and, and all those things. And I couldn't see it from the outside. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the saying, love is blind. You know, once I got out of the relationship, people were like, how did you not see that? How did you not see that you two shouldn't have been together? How did you not see you know, the way he was treating you. And I was like, I don't know. I just didn't. I just went on with life, you know, every day going to work, taking care of my kids. I, I just didn't see it the way every, a lot, most people from outside saw it. So yeah. yeah, I loved him. He was my husband. So I don't know. I go with that saying love truly is blind. Yeah. You yeah. know, or well, and I think it gives you, it brings in a bit of grace for yourself in that situation, right? You can look back and get, have some compassion for that version of you who was really doing the best she could at that time yeah. with where she was at, right? And I think that it, 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 it's super important, I think, for people to see you now on the other side of it, looking back at that version of you with compassion and not shame. Because I think a lot of women probably in your situation would look back and be like, God, I was so dumb or God, I was so stupid, right? And yeah. that doesn't help. If anybody's in that situation, that doesn't help you, right? Because it's that would be like me telling me my, you know, sick self. It's the same story, right? It's, that would be like yeah. me being like, God, why were you so dumb? You couldn't see how depressed and anxious you were. Like, no, nobody would say that to me. So it's the same kind yeah. of story right? is that we can only, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty is 100% true in that situation. And it's not until you can get out of something that you can really see what it was, what the, the real nature of it was. Oh, Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And trust me, in the beginning, I was like, I would say it all the time. I'm so stupid for staying. I can't believe I would let somebody treat me that way or make such a fool of me, you know? And it wasn't until I had somebody say to me, oh, you know, you're real stupid for staying for your children. You're real stupid for, you know, trying to keep your, your home together, you know, and keep mm -hmm. your kids with their mom and dad, like, you know, like yelling at me. And I was like, that's kind of when I stepped back and I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm not stupid for, for doing that. I'm not stupid for trying to keep my home together. I'm, and, you know, no. my kids with both of their parents. And yeah. So that, that was eye opening for me for somebody to actually yell at me, you know, <laughs> like not, ag yeah. not agree with me. Yeah. 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 Well, Gina, thank you so much for sharing this story. I think it, and your story, it's just so um, important. Like I said earlier, I don't think this is spoken about enough. And I think that there are a lot of women who are really like prisoners in these kinds of relationships and would, you know, really benefit from hearing your story and hearing 
that it is really hard to go through it and that sometimes it takes a lot longer than you anticipate but that on the end of it you will be okay because that's what I'm hearing through your story definitely you Um, grow stronger you grow stronger mentally emotionally spiritually definitely mm -hmm. so I'd love for you to let our listeners know where they can connect with you online on social so if they need some support or want to reach out they can do so of course. On Facebook, I am Gina Marie. And on Instagram, I am Gina underscore B3. Perfect. And I will, of course, link Gina's socials in the show notes on the blog at carlycrew.com. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mind Over Motherhood. Gina, it was an absolute pleasure having you. I really appreciate you being you. on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you so much. And we will catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Mind Over Motherhood podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can get updated each week when a new episode is released. Have comments or questions about this episode? Reach out to me on either Instagram or Facebook at Carly Crew or through my website at carlycrew.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could share it with someone you love or snap a screenshot and share it on social media. Be sure to tag me so I can say hello. As always, remember, you're meant for more mama and there's nothing wrong with that.